Good, good afternoon. I was going to say good morning. <laughs> it's been a long day. It's been a long day. Um, I'm Donya. I'm Brian, and welcome to Genealogy Adventures. Yes, yes. How are you guys today? We hope everything is well. I'm in the process of setting up the little watch party, so pay me no attention. Brian, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? That's good. Well, today's show um, is one that we've been trying to get. For about a year. Yes, for about a year. <laughs> we are going to introduce her right now. Her name is Ellen Fernandez, Dr. Ellen Fernandez Sacco, and she does research on Caribbean and his. No, am I wrong? Caribbean. It's mostly Puerto Rican, but I do I do some and Caribbean Hispanic stuff. And yeah. Puerto Rican genealogy. So, hi, Ellen. How are you? I'm fine. Thanks for having me on. Uh oh, we, we're having a, some sound trouble. One second. Sure. Oh, oh, there it is. Back. There it is. You're you got back. it back? Yep. Okay, good. All right. So how are you today? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. That's um, great. Just thinking about the topic and the massiveness of it, too. <laughs> yes, it is. It is massive. And Brian and I have really been interested in it because we both have Caribbean um, descent mm -hmm. connections. So, mm -hmm. But we've never known how to actually jump in and get started on researching it so we're really happy for you to be on this show today sure thanks that and the fact that it's um it's a huge as you said it's a huge topic um i don't really see it covered terribly often not in the main kind of genealogy channels i was getting ready to say something um <laughs> i was i put it diplomatically i think yeah yeah so, Ellen, I'm the one that got to stop myself from saying stuff, and Brian is, is the diplomatic one. So if I kind of cut back, <laughs> it's just because I, I, I need to make sure I'm not saying nothing wrong. But, um, yeah, so, Brian, you want to start? Okay. So if you'd like to just um, familiarize the audience with kind of who you are, how you got into genealogy, and a little bit more about your speciality. Yeah. Um, well, I'm... I was born in New York. I'm from the South Bronx and, and Queens and, and, and then the other boroughs as well. Uh, you know, moving around New York before I finally moved to California and then now live in Florida. Um, I have a doctorate. It's in art history. And uh, there were, and I focused on 18th century museums and representations of people of color and looking at indigenous representations in early American museums in the late 18th century in the United States. So, um, so I kind of went from that and kind of took those research skills into, into genealogy. And one of the things that really, really, uh, I grew up with was listening to my mom tell me about her life in this rural town on the West side of Puerto Rico. And, uh, my dad wasn't born in Puerto Rico. He was born in New York city. And so I'm Puerto Rican both sides, but it's two different two different migrations, you know, the 1940s versus the 1920s of my, my paternal grandparents. So my mom would tell me these stories, and this is, this is some time ago, and then at a certain point I started to write it down, and then, and this this will put some age on me here, um, the 1910 census was just released. I mean, we didn't have ancestry in all of these resources that we have today, you know, so then you start with the 1910 census, and I started to, I, like, I found out what my grandmother's maiden name was. I, we didn't even have that information. So things like that. Um, and I just kept building on with that over time. And then, you know, things like message boards. And then I ran a couple, of, I have a couple of groups that I run 
uh, Sociedad Ancestros Mocanos, which I've had since 2005, uh, that I've run with a group of cousins interested in the genealogy of Puerto Rico, Northwest and the island. And, um, and now, you know, it's like a Facebook group and, and, uh, and then also I, I, you know, I kept at it. So it's been about 21 years now. Um, I'm a member of Black Progen Live. Um, and that's given me an opportunity to kind of expand into a lot of different, some different areas of, of research. So I'm really, I'm really grateful for that opportunity too. Um, and, uh, I'm, I just keep working away on certain, certain topics. And one of the things that I've been really focused on is the history of slavery in Puerto Rico and kind of like, how did that hit my, my own personal history? Because I have, I kind of have it from both sides. Um, I have, you know, enslaver and enslaved, um, is in there. And so some of a lot of my work that I've been doing lately is, is, is kind of focused on, um, on kind of that. And I, and you could see kind of a, a, a variety of things that I've done on my website. You know, it's not just, even though it's Latino genealogy, it's not just Latino genealogy. I mean, I comment on, 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 uh, um, podcasts or, you know, other, other people's research or topics or, you know, uh, show themes, things like that. So uh, I encourage people to check it out. <laughs> Thank you for that. I just want to take a quick check with our producer to make sure that we're streaming on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. It's moving slow. Okay. It's, it's moving slow on both ends. It's lagging. Yeah, it's lagging. So, I'm about to restart it to make sure. Okay. Yeah, so... um. I know we have our, you know, we have our regular listeners on Listen Vision Live, and we're really happy about that. We normally have uh, people on the, we have a live stream that goes to Facebook, but sometimes it's just a mess, and I do want to apologize for that. Um, but I wanted to know what started you on your research and journey. Every genealogist has something that happened that made them say, okay, I'm going to look into it. So what started you on your journey? It's, um, I think in part, my, my grandparents uh, passed away like probably 10, 10 to 15 years before I was born. So that kind of left me with something wondering about, about where, where some of my roots are from. And, um, and I grew up with my paternal grandparents around, but not my maternal grandparents. So I think that that kind of like launched a lot of questions for me, okay. you know? All right. So, okay, well, let's jump into the, the, the meat of this. How is, cause you just made this comment saying that you had to start with the 1910 census. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that was that the first time that you were finding your family on the census record? Were you able to find them backwards? Like, how do you? It, it was. It was because it was at that time, and it took in the. And I'm talking in the '90s or something, late '90s. You know, not now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that was like the first uh, record set that was kind of released. So, in order to get information, you're either working with, you know, family documents or things like that. I didn't have access to that. You know, so it was a lot of listening to a lot of oral history and then trying to um, piece out of that, try to get names and try to get locations and then, you know, actually go there to visit, uh, spend time on the island, too. Okay. So what would you say are some of the unique challenges and barriers to actually doing um, Caribbean and Hispanic research? Well, first off, we're talking about a region that's like a million square miles and it's like 7000 islands. And, um, 
And then that gets clustered. I mean, somebody wrote about this recently, that it's 13 sovereign nations and 12 dependent territories. And so with, with all of that, and, and you can't even just talk about the islands. I mean, I've always looked at the Caribbean as kind of like, uh, it's the whole thing. It's not really, it, it's everywhere that water touches. Mm-hmm. You know, there's that potential for people to have been trafficked through there. And when we look at the, um, you know, the start of the slave trade, the international slave trade, you know, it, it hit it hit Puerto Rico and it hit and it hit the Dominican Republic first. And, you know, native peoples were sent all over uh, when people were colonizing North America. They sent people from there to the Caribbean. And so then and then the and then Africans were brought in 1538. So then you already have a mix. You already have something going on that isn't one thing or one specific place. And I think that's something that um, the way that education has gone on in the, in the past is kind of almost brought up, taught us like in bubbles, you know, when actually it's all, there's a lot of interconnections, you know, and that's, that's also kind of like, kind of makes you like, oh my gosh, you know, that's like so much to deal with, but actually you just begin with yourself. It's like, you know, genealogic, basic genealogical practice. And then you try to find those hints and get to get those areas or those clues to get you back to a specific location. And a lot of times we know, and sometimes we don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, that's and, actually a really good point because again, thinking about kind of colonialism, all of the, you know, a lot of the major Western European powers had their own territories within the Caribbean. So <clears throat> I would imagine that's going to impact records, how well they were kept, whether they still exist. Exactly. Even the language that you need to understand. Because if I go to Puerto Rico, I'm going to assume that most of the records, if not all of the old ones, are going to all be in Spanish. They will be. But then, you know, the the, your biggest friend is Family Search because they have such a tremendous collection of of record sets in there. And then, you know, you use things like um, the word list if you don't know the language and then you start to pick up terms. And, you know, some of the things we look for across records is kind of the same thing. So like, you know, so so you start small and just keep building up over time. Um, Because a lot of this stuff is really like kind of a boilerplate once it gets started, you know, some of it is. Um, And, and, and then you, you can build up a contextual knowledge, you know, but you can do that once you have a better idea what's going on with your own family. So that's like one of the really things I encourage people to do is to record your family history to, um, you know, get get an idea. Where, where were they? Where did they go? And also, like, if you've got Puerto Rican ancestry, you don't even have to go to Puerto Rico. You could have you could have had two people meet up in Brooklyn. You know, it just doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be a specific location. Like if I look at my own DNA, it looks like it went through a fan. I just got like everything in there. But there's not really necessarily that. You know, I've had ancestors that necessarily, I mean, people that came to the island, but it's not like everything's going to necessarily lead me off either. So that's that's when you have a better sense of where your, um, how your family history is going, that's, 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 you know, something to work with. And also people came from the south, like there was an 18th century record that I looked at for Aguadilla, which is a town on the west side of the island, and it's the... Um, late 1700s, early 1800s, and it says that the person was, uh, was an enslaved man from the South, from the American South, and was getting married in the church there. So we know that people, that this traffic brings people, the slave traffic had brought people all over and created all kinds of different kinds of um, 
connections and interactions. Um, you know, like 10 people, 10 million people swept up in a forced migration and then half of them wind up in Latin America. You know, so, so these things are, they're, it's kind of um, remarkable, you know, wow. uh, when we look at this. And that's not to say that we can get that whole thing back, but, you know, there, there's, there's things you can do at least to understand what, what happened. So that's going to be something for us to factor in, because we think about our ancestors being brought from Barbados and Jamaica to right. South Carolina. We right. never really, I never really thought that it could go the other way. Exactly. That, yeah. that people from yeah. here being sent there. It was actually sent there. That's, that's, a, that's a good thought. Um, so if we, because we, we do know that we have some family members that actually were shipped from places like Barbados and Jamaica into South Carolina, how do how are the records in those areas like and especially with the the oh, hurricane Port, yeah in Puerto Rico yeah in Puerto Rico I mean it's was not easy <laughs> I mean you really have to explore a lot of different record sets and see and also get into people's uh, writings that's uh, you know historians books that have written about about the connections between Barbados and and and, and the Caribbean or the the connection between the the British Empire. The other thing is that there's a illegal trade going on between the islands. So people are brought from place to place. So you don't even necessarily, you know, it's not necessarily as anchored as you might think at times either. You know, you may have um, a history that gets, that gets blended into that. What you wind up using for some of that is it's, it's just like with records in the South. You try to find the, the location and the enslaver and then the lists of, of, of uh, records for for, you know, for ownership of enslaved people, then then work on that to kind of tease that out. It's, it's not easy. I mean, as you know, it takes four times longer to do this kind of research than it does for European. For, for a lot of European yes. uh, research. Yes. Well, what I can say about Barbados, because I've literally just started looking into those record sets, <clears throat> the historians and the kind of um, archivist librarians that I've been contacting there have been so incredibly welcoming and helpful. Wow. And their lookup fees are like nominal, like we're talking about two bucks fifty cents. What? Five, wow, five, that's five wonderful. To do, you know, to do lookups. What? So really, really good. Now, Ellen, I have an analogy for you that I, that's going to lead into a question. Sure. So, okay, I'm thinking Louisiana, which is culturally mm -hmm. a very different part than the rest of British-controlled um, colonies in the United States. So, you know, mm -hmm. their records are kind of organized by parishes and their legal system is different. Their kind of record sets are slightly different. There's some parity with British colonies, but there's also some, some unique differences too. Mm -hmm. So in terms of Puerto Rico, um, how are those records kind of organized and kind of, you know, do Puerto Rico have, or does it have like parishes or their counties? They were basically broken down into districts and then and then municipalities. Uh, and there's 70 today, there's 78 municipalities. And as further back you go in time, you know, these these areas have become progressively larger subdivisions. Like you'll learn there's other people that have like lists of when these borders change on the island. Like at the beginning, there was it was San Juan Bautista. And then it became San Germán and San Juan and then that broke down to Aguada, San Juan, and uh, a couple of other areas. And, then, and that continued to happen. Uh, there are a lot of, there's, record sets is very uneven and kind of uh, spotty. 
for uh, certain time periods. Like there's a thing we joke, we call it El Hueco, which is like the hole, like the, like if it was a pothole where you hit like the early 19th century, you may have that first book of marriages or deaths, the vital, the parish records. And then there's nothing, there's no book to, you know, the stuff from 1800 is not there. So what do you do? You know, there's, there's work around for that. But, um, but if you know that you have fairly recent Puerto Rican ancestry, basically what you start with is a civil registration. And, and a lot of this has to do with empire and how do they keep track of people? Because that's really what it's about. It's about extractive economies and knowing how to get stuff out of there. So they want to know who, who is where. So, so there's, um, you know, censuses are numeric until later. Um, there are, uh, the, the church and the, the church and state, it's one, you know, so those parish records early on is, is what you use. And then after that, around the 1870s, 1880s, and this is dependent on what islands you're talking about too, you're going to have the start of the civil registration system, which is your system of, um, your, you know, birth marriages and death vital records, which is a little different than the parish records, you know. So when did slavery start being, um, when was that phased out in Spanish-held territories like Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, Cuba? Each years are, each island has like different years for it. Mm-hmm. And um, in Cuba, it's not until 1886, which is terribly late. And then in Puerto Rico, it's 1870, 1873 is when em- emancipation is, is given. But it's actually more like akin to a gradual emancipation because people had to work for no pay for three years. And then wow. they're working for this. They're basically in the same situation for three years, you know. But it was, and, but it was known that they had to do that. It was because I mean we, our families. Sure, me. it's just I just mentioned it because because a lot of times people will mention oh you know the other emancipation you know it's it's this date in 1873 and it's kind of like but wait what you know pull back a little bit I mean this is a longer process and it's it's not as it's not quite as um, you know people aren't exactly getting integrated into society. Like some of the research I've done, I found like before then, most people who are being free, it's because they're paying for their freedom. It's not because their owner decided that, you know what, this is really, I shouldn't be doing this. I'm going to let you go. It wasn't like that. You know, it's, it really is a question about holding on to, holding on to your business investment as long as possible. So what is the difference between African-American research and Latino and Puerto Rican and Caribbean research like what because it's so far what you're saying it, it literally was the same thing we had the same issues that, yeah yeah as far as it is a lot and I think a lot of people think that it's going to be like wildly different but a lot of a lot of that a lot of this system had a lot of interlocking parts and in order that to work it's not going to be a bunch of different things so you know I think that's part of the reason why there's so much uh uh, there's a there's a big there's more overlap than people might think for that. Hmm. Wow, that's amazing because I'm I mean I think I look at people of color no matter what color and they don't realize the the actual kinship that they right. have with each other until you start talking about stuff like this like um. You are, are, was explaining the 1873 is when it when emancipation came, as far as there was concerned, and it was 18 what 
65 for us or 63 for us 10 years Mm -hmm. prior. But you guys had the opportunity to know that, okay, for the first, these first three years, you're going to be, you still have to work and you're working for free. Whereas we weren't told that. No. (laughs) Right. You know, we we weren't given that, we weren't even given that information, but yet it still gave the same outcome. It's still, right. you know, and I just, I didn't know that. And I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by what you're saying. I, and, I didn't and, know that. The other thing I found really shocking, I've been involved in this project that I uh, transcribed these sedulas for the, uh, for this missing volume of the Registro de Esclavos. And I was really shocked to find that nearly half the people listed in the, in these, in these certificates were children, you know, mm. And and a lot of, and a good percentage were infants, and I mean children under the age of three, which mm-hmm. is just raises even more questions about what exactly was going on. You know, this is a you know. Wow. So a couple of minutes ago, you mentioned something about workarounds, which I like to spend a couple of minutes on because sure. those, those are the kinds of things that our audience really tunes in for. Yeah. Any of those kind of tips or tricks. So one of the workarounds that Donnie and I have is. Because we spend so much time researching our ancestors, we understand what the naming conventions were within each family. So we can say, see a name like Georgina, and we're like, oh, she's going to be a Peterson. Without she's a doubt. Gonna, she's going to be a Holloway. Or we see the name Alonzo, and mm. we know that's going to go back to Settles. the Settles. So I, knew, I understand there's probably a little complexity with this, the Spanish kind of naming, because I understand the practice was you have both your mother's maiden name and your father's maiden name. So right. just kind of talking about maybe a little bit about naming conventions and then some of the other workarounds that people can use when the records just don't exist. There, um, well, one of the problems, of course, with enslavement is that, you know, they, they're erasing your identity. So, or they're, they're assigning you an identity and you don't necessarily have uh, the surname. Although there was a small number of people that did have surnames in these slave certificates, but not everyone. Um, so the the records really that record sets to really work with are, are, are church records. I mean, if you get to this point, um, but if there's there also have people that served in the military, people of color served in the military. So you'll have people that were of indigenous ancestry and African ancestry who are who were in special um, uh, what do you call it regiments? I guess in that were that were part of the militia, you know. And they're, they're militia lists, but these date from about 18, 1817 and 1819. Um, and then there's a lot of transcription work that was done by the Sociedad Puerto Rican which is set in, which is based in, uh, in San Juan. And they have a journal called Hereditas that they publish. And they also publish a lot of um, really amazing books like, uh, let me just show you this one. Um, Wow. I don't know if you could see this. Uh, just see. A look. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So um, this is a list of, uh, you know, the Aportación de las Naciones Africanas a la Familia Puerto Riqueña. And it's a list that's divided between people with the owner's name or the or another surname and um, where they turn up. So it's it's kind of like these mini bios that are in here. So uh, most of the people I transcribe are not in here. But... Um, so, but that's, so basically you know, it's a, what it's it sounds great, like... It's, it's a great start. 
You what know? it sounds like is a because um, Edgefield has a book like that called the Edgefield Slave Record Book, where it gives information about the owner and the right. new owner and the cost and a, dis- a a brief description of the enslaved person or you know something to that nature. That's what that sounds like. So you guys have a book like that. Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, this is this is done by the society, and there's a bunch of different. I mean, it's all over the island. You know, wow. it's not just one location. Yeah. And then there are like essays in the beginning. And of course, this is entirely in Spanish, but you could still, you know, it's still something to work with. Um, I'm and, trying to think of something else. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> and I was going to ask you a question about, say, uh, Puerto Rican or Dominican uh, online research communities. I mean, can you find them? All- so say, for instance, you're just dipping your toes or, you know, you've been doing your research for a little while. Is there um, like an online community that can offer advice, offer support, guidance? Yeah, there are. There, there are Dominican groups on Facebook. Uh, there are, um, there's also the um, uh, CUNY Dominican Institute in New York City, which has, uh, it kind of gives you an overview and also has uh, different documents at the end that you can look at. The Dominican Republic has record sets that are go back to the 1720s, I believe, to 19 to the 1924s that are on Family Search. So um, different people work with that, and it's uh, it's also in contrast to like uh, doing like Haitian genealogy as well. There's also the Dominican uh, uh, Dominican Genealogical Society also publishes a journal which is in Spanish, which is online, and um, so there are resources out there. You know, it's just that they're not necessarily all in one place. And a lot of it really depends on what you're really looking at, you know, because if it turns out that, um, you know, your Dominican ancestor is actually only from the 1940s <laughs> and from New York um, or from, you know, another status. And then you have to look into those those migrations or look into the military or look into which is which is another you know, an- another thing to, to, to consider. Uh, so you mentioned something about um, family search. So if I'm on Google and I'm curious about what record sets family search has, I would just type in family search, comma, Puerto Rican records, or, so, or like a search string like that. Um, I'm, you, I'm, you know, it's funny. It's like I'm not 100% sure if you'll get to it from the outside because you do need, an, you do need to have an account for family search. Uh. You know, and then and then once and the account is free. Right. But once you go in there, then you can go in the catalog. And what I like to do, too, is just to put the the location and just see what comes up Mm -hmm. and see what they have. And then uh, because of some things, too, there's that that cut off with more recent records because of privacy issues. So like for Puerto Rico, it like you won't find necessarily births after 1935, you know, but their project stopped in 19. 90 or 1970 because they were filming in the 1990s. I mean, that's, that's kind of like where that, that wall is where like, if they were doing it now, it'd probably be, they'd probably be more the forties in there even. So it, it sounds like, it sounds like Puerto Rican and Caribbean, like their census. Were you able to find anybody in your family in 1870 and 1880 or did yours start literally 1910? Well, my, I mean, the, 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 well, 
that is that's talking about the U.S. invasion of Puerto Rico and their and their colonization of the island, and then they're bringing their uh, their census right. techniques to the island. Okay. So if you look before, there's um, uh, there are some older books that are about the census records of Latin America uh, by George Platt. Uh, older books like that, which some some of them you could find on the BYU library. They have some uh, island guides on there that you could look at, which are real real basic, but they give you the record sets and they tell you, they kind of tell you what's available and what, what's not. I mean, it's up to you to go digging in there because it's, it's a ton of stuff, but you know, at least you're going in with kind of a map to work with, you know, of, of what you, what, what exactly you can, you can, you can find. And I have to ask this question with the, cause Puerto Rico has suffered horribly with um, hurricanes over the last hurricane season. Has that, and to your knowledge, has that had any effect on the, were any records destroyed or lost? My understanding is that there have been some losses, but there, that hasn't really come out. And then the, um, there's been a real problem just with getting funding from the United States to, to, to for hurricane uh, damage and things. So that's a really horrible situation. It continues. I mean, I think they're still sitting on like, a chunk of money that hasn't been released and it's two years wow. later. Wow. So um, you also had a problem with cemeteries uh, being destroyed or being uh, mm. put in terrible condition. Like uh, the one in Lattice, they actually had the coffins coming out and floating in, wow. in, floating in, in the waters. I mean, there were just, it was, it, it's kind of like New Orleans. What happened with New Orleans is very much like that, you know, Good. where you just kind of leave people high and dry. So now you've got me thinking, because I didn't even think about cemeteries. I so didn't that means, think about that. That means churches. Churches, churches were destroyed. The, think about all the church records. Yeah, and all the church records. And so the church records weren't necessarily destroyed. I mean, there's, there's the issue, like, talking just Puerto Rico, I don't know about the other islands, but in Puerto Rico, there was a thing about um, who opted in and who opted out of having their records microfilmed by, the, by, the, by family search. So there were some places didn't do it. So then there's a real concern, like, you know, to get those books, because it isn't like you have the condition, you know, a, con a, a climate controlled environment, mm -hmm. ideally to, to preserve records. You don't really have that so much there, especially if you're talking about places with a smaller uh, population or not as many resources. And, the, and those resources, you know, people get angry. And then I try to remind them, hey, you know, they're not there for genealogists first. <laughs> for the communities first, and then you know if they can do something about the records, they will. So um, the Sociedad Puertorriqueña uh, de Genealogía has tried to uh, has a project where a lot of the older volumes have been collected, and they're in a process of digitization. But we're not, it's not clear how long that's going to take or or where that's happening. You know, I'm not sure exactly where that's where that is, although it's. It's 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 ongoing. Um, well, we have a question from Shelley Murphy, and I think it's going back to when you were talking about the status of, you know, whether a person was free or how they were, you know, how they actually after the emancipation. Basically, it was saying she said, "Can you pay for your family status, or is that the same as paying for freedom?" That would be paying for your freedom. That would be paying for your freedom. And, and um, I was really amazed by the amounts of money because people, uh, and these are in notarial documents. And in Puerto Rico, 
notarial documents are considered to be living documents still. And I'm talking about stuff that's already a couple, uh, almost 200 years old. So that, that starts to beg the question of um, at what point do you, <laughs> do you liberate these things so that people can work with them more, more readily? But I don't know that that's necessarily going to happen. But these records have, uh, there's, there was someone who published a book and published several books of uh, these notarial records. And I extracted the ones dealing with, in, in, in one box, dealing with slavery. And I was just really amazed to see that people were collecting um, something like 300 pesos macuquinos, a silver, a silver money to, to pay for their freedom or their child's freedom. Uh, and it's, and, and then the notarial record becomes, you know, that, that would be another repository to have your, that you're somewhere, but your freedom would be inscribed. I, I, there's probably additional documentation for these things, which I'm not sure about, but yeah, a lot of it, but that the other thing that this is the point with that is that it belies community ties, you know, it's really hard. I mean, you're talking about a place where, where uh, money was scarce to begin with. Okay. So, you know, this person is not working by themselves. That's, that's really a lot of people pushing to get this, to get this freedom. You know, it's a lot of, a lot of collaboration. Which kind of begs the question, especially for if, you know, if your status was that of a slave, how did you even earn the money to be able to buy not only your freedom, but other family members' freedoms? Right. It would be the renting out, just like, just like stateside, where people would be renting, renting out their labor, or, and if they, if they got to sell something extra that they made or they grew, getting money from that. Yeah. Because, I mean, people are regarded like a wallet, and it's, it's kind of like when they would say, I read a Southern account and said, Master has me in my pocket. It has, it has me in his pocket. You know, like they're looking at you like currency. So one of the, the other questions I have is what's one of the more memorable or kind of amazing stories that you found in your ancestry? And if you can talk a little bit about maybe some of the record sets that you access to, to investigate that. Um, gosh, um, in my own ancestry, uh, I'm just thinking about a photograph that I bought in Aguadilla that was from 1930 nine and it had a little a little heading at the bottom and it was from the town where my mother was born and and I was I looked at it and I kept thinking like God the dates here there's a coffin there there's these guys lined up I have a blog post on this and uh, I was able to identify most of the people in the photograph showed the date in the photograph was wrong have a map to show that you know how far it was from where that where that photograph was taken to the, to the cemetery, which was down the street. And then I believe that my great grandfather was even in that photo, which was no photos of him as a young man, but I believe it's him because both he and my great grandfather, my great grandfather, because uh, they both made coffins and, uh, and they're listed as coffin makers in the 1940 census. So it's, it was just kind of um, surprising. Um, there was one woman that I traced from from her freedom into the 1940s, and she had changed her name five times, but I was able to track her through these different uh, census records and stuff, and and see that you know her life, her life was pretty different. Wow. You know. Well, we can definitely relate to ancestors. Yes. More than, more than <laughs> Changing of the names is something else. So, um, Anessa, 
asked two questions. The first one was for me. The, that particular, the title of the book at Edgefield was Slave Records of Edgefield County. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Slave Reg- Records of Edgefield County, and the, you can purchase it through the old Edgefield District and um, Genealogical Society. And then she had a question for you about the title of the book that you actually held up, and is it purchasable? I believe so. You have to go to, um, I believe it's prgenealogy.com is, is the SPG's website. Um, and then if it's available, it, it, it's, it, it should be listed. They have some books for sale uh, listed on their website. And what's okay. the name of it again? It's called, uh, it's the third volume, Colección de Genealogía e Historia. La Aportación de las Naciones Africanas a la Familia Puerto Ricana. Yeah, it's basically the, the, the contribution of the, of, of the African nations to the Puerto Rican family is basically the title of it. Okay. Yeah. We're going to need you to send that to us. That sure. way I can put it on the... <laughs> I know, it's a mouthful. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, that way I can put it on the comments and people can look for that book. That's awesome. So, um... You had another question, or couldn't I go ahead? Uh, have you? What have you done? Have you written any books or outside I'm of your blogs or to. things? It's a blog. Yeah, I, my blog is latinogenealogy.com. Although, if you look for me online, you probably find my other other older blogs that I had before: uh, Fernandez Family History and Babylonia Family History. And uh, I started out with those before building my own website, and uh, kind of. Putting there because I don't know if you've noticed, but like with um, some of the free sites, they keep stripping the the, the functionality from mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. So the, the next time you think you can do something more with it, you can't. And then it was like, oh no, I just you know want to be able to put what I want on there. And so yeah, so I, I came up with Latino genealogy and beyond, uh, which is uh, I'm not sure how many articles. It's I think I'm going into my third year with it. And I'm hoping that I can use some of the uh, the blog posts, which some people have told me read like a book, like it's as long like a book because they just scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. So like I'm <laughs> trying to do shorter blog posts, but um, but uh, yeah. So so that's that's something. But I have published articles, and I've published articles in Hereditas, and uh, I have a, a, a web page on uh, academia.edu under my name. And people can download the articles there for free. So, you know, they're they're available. And I've also published with uh, the California Nugget. Um, I did work also on uh, eugenics and the 1915 uh, Panama Pacific Exposition. Um, I've done uh, uh, an article on uh, slavery in the... Revisiting Slavery on, on the Babylonia Family, which is a two-part article that was first I published in the Baobab Tree, and then I published it in the California Nugget, and there's copies of that available if people want to download that. So I was going to come to your defense about long posts, because again, we have a cousin called Melvin Collier. He's just written an, ama- yes. an amazing blog post yes. about yes. how he found family, you know, members of his extended family that were split apart during slavery. Yeah. And there is no way on earth that he could have ever written that in like 500 words or less. No. You couldn't. Right. There's right. too many moving parts. You have exactly. to explain terminology and explain how some things worked. And actually, 
step people through your methodology. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Right. You, you can't just you you can't just say, oh yeah, I found this person and that's it. Yeah, that's it. I mean, right. it's, it's just not even possible. You have to you have to explain. I mean, I think the beauty of genealogical research or researching as a whole when your family is is the actual process to finding them. And yeah. it, it is the, in that process that I don't know about you guys, but I start to find me. Mm-hmm. Like I have found myself so many times in doing this particular research and sitting here and just saying, oh my God, is this what that is? Oh my God, did I, what? I said that before or, you know, just different things. And you you start to learn and you want to share. You want people to know and actually understand mm. how you felt when you actually found the things that you found. So with that being said, why haven't you written a book yet, Ellen? It's <laughs> <laughs> a good question. So kind of like I, I got the blog, this, these, like some of them are insanely long blog posts out, but, um, but I'm, I keep thinking like, well, what is the, you know, what it would it be? And I think it would be that it's the common theme would be Mocha, which is on the West side of the, the Island, because that's kind of what a lot of the, the work that I've done hubs, hubs out of, you know, and that's not to limit it to that because it's, uh, there's a lot of consideration to, you know, the landscape maps, uh, different types of record sets, um, you know, oral histories, photographs, you know, and, uh, and photographs is hard because, uh, there's not, there's a lot of photographs I think that are lost or that it did, you don't really have them unless, you're talking about the 1940s and people would go to the, um, the fairs that they would have for the saints at, at certain times of the year. And then the guy would have a kiosk and then somebody could afford to get like a little photograph of their family and stuff. It wasn't really common until a bit later, you know? Well, another question that I have, cause we take American records for granted, things like enslavers wills and estate inventories and deeds of sales. What would, are the, I would say, to what extent did people say enslavers in Puerto Rico, um, you know, what were their wills like and their estate inventories? And are things like deeds of sale, do those still exist? Yes, very much so. But they're uh, categorized, uh, they're, they're organized uh, chronologically, but then underneath the, the notary that the family would have used. So there's a, there's an index for the notaries, and then you could find, you know, you go through that and you'd find that. But then you need, there was an issue with, with using the records at the Archivo General de Puerto Rico because you have to, you need like at least three days, you know, before you can actually see the record. You got to go register, and then you got to go say, I want this and that, and then they, they make you come back before they actually give you, the, you know, access. And then even then you're writing this thing out by hand, one pencil, one paper, so it's not a quick, uh, process and I'm really I'm really curious if there might be some release of that. But um, there is uh, uh, Don Carlos Encarnacion Navarro who published um, who published a book of of these um, protocolos notariales, you know, uh, and it's it's pretty amazing because if it isn't for that, a lot of times you can't find the family groups, you know. You do have. The 1826 and then an 1852 uh, slave inventories that were taken on the island according to the law, and uh, every time 
something would happen and uh, and then something in terms of like people are pushing for their rights and um and and the and there there is becomes a change in the law and then you could read that law and then see what the specifics were for that so that you could see that they ordered the you know that a census would be done and some of those are done for you know different parts of the island but not all of them have uh necessarily survived Okay, and I'm assuming, again, like here, when there is enslaved people, there will be family members who will fight over who got what enslaved person. So there's yeah. law, there are lawsuits. There are lawsuits. Same thing for Puerto Rico? Um, I think that that also plays out in the notarial documents, too. I don't know if they necessarily would go to court for it, but they would. Um, most of the documents I've seen concerned inheritances and sales and um, uh, sometimes the shipping uh, ship owners, which I wonder, you know, if that's involved as well. Sometimes that's that doesn't really come up in there. So, yeah. so one of the things that so Barbados, certain Caribbean islands, Caribbean islands were a part of the the transatlantic slave trade. Do mm -hmm. you have a lot of information? dating back that far in those areas? And do you find that it's better to actually be in those areas to do the research than to research them online? Actually, right now, if you're talking about the Bahamas and Puerto Rico, you're probably better off doing online research. I mean, it's, 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 just, it's just difficult. I mean, after Maria, I don't know about the conditions on how, how if, if Barbados was, was impacted. But if you can, like Brian was saying, you're, you're in contact with staff at these different archives, that would be a way to find out. But the other thing is that there's a lot of imperative right now to have digitized records available because the more copies, the more chances something will survive. Uh, so I think that that's, that's something to consider, too. Um, I mean, there's way more that I can do in family search than I can trying to get records in Puerto Rico. It's not, it's not that accessible a process. Okay. Well, thank you so much for um, sharing your knowledge and sharing your time with us on this Sunday. Yes, this went past so fast. It, it did. I thought there was going to be more time. <laughs> I know. I'm so, so, we will have to have you back because oh, this, sure. this is such a, I mean, this is a common theme for us for the last month and a half. We, yeah, we come out of the show going, there's so many more questions. We yeah, and then we're, we're at a point now, especially with this particular type of research, because again, as when I first contacted you, I wanted you to, you know, to really know and understand that we try to cover um, minority research. It's not that we don't do European research. We have to because we know that we're connected via, you know, European as well. But we want to focus on the minority research because so many people have so many problems trying to find their their, their other halves. So, yeah. Know, so we that's why I was so excited to be able to get in contact with you and to know that you would be able to do it. And then to learn that you was at once on Black Progen Live and and everything. So um, one more time before we you know close out. I want you to just give some information how somebody can contact you and we're going to have you back on the show. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, 
you know, I'm on, I'm on Facebook. I'm on, uh, LinkedIn. I'm on, I've got my blog, Latino genealogy and beyond, uh, you know, you can drop me a line there. Um, uh, I don't know if I can say my email address or no, or no, that's no, we don't want you to do that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm, I'm not really, I don't think I'm hard to find. Well, again, thank you everyone for joining with joining us today. We are the last show broadcasting from Listen Vision Studio. Do check out their website, listenvisionlive.com. Yes. They've got some great, great pr- programming on the website. Yes, they do. They do. Well, I, thank you again, Ellen, for being oh, here. You're so welcome. And um, we, do, we would like to see you again. And we will let you guys know Tuesday or Wednesday, like yeah, we've been doing, like been doing. <laughs> what our next show is. And we thank you so much for following and, and just being such strong supporters. I want y'all to ask more questions, please. We get these people and they want to help. And I want we want to help you guys. So let's get your questions up. Let's get them up. Absolutely. And until next week, enjoy the rest of your day. Yes. Good, goodbye. Have a good day, guys. Okay. Bye, Ellen. Bye, Ellen. <laughs> and thank you again. You're welcome.